I invite you um, this morning uh, to look with me uh, at the topic of wisdom. And so we're not going to have a single uh, scripture reading because we're going to look at a lot of scriptures together. And so, you know, the story we think of about wisdom when it comes to our mind um, is the story of um, Solomon and the two prostitutes that come before him. So I'd like for us to begin by looking at that in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon has made a prayer uh, for wisdom. And we know that in many ways he's not going to, to live that out. But, but also, in other ways, he's the, um, the portrait of the wise man in terms of all of the knowledge and then how he, he judged rightly between people. And so we want to, to pick up in verse 16 um, as we look at the first um, one of the scriptures we want to look at today. First Kings, six, uh, First Kings 3 verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two <coughs> were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her done, dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the mor morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in, <coughs> in awe of the king. And then notice this phrase, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Father, as we begin this series of sermons on wisdom, Lord, as we prepare our minds next week to go into the book of Proverbs, we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit right now would give us minds 
that are filled with wisdom, hearts that are filled with wisdom, and hands that are ready to do wisely. Lord, we know that this is a gift from you. Solomon prayed, you answered. And so today we ask, Lord, teach us how to live wisely. Lord, not for our sake, but for the honor and glory of your name. We make this prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. And together God's people said, Amen. We all know the, the saying about when you try to define love. Um, the old saying goes, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. In the same way, wisdom is difficult to define adequately, but we all know it when we see it. Notice this story, there is no real definition of wisdom, but everybody who heard and saw the king's judgment, they knew that was wisdom. Not just man, you know, the wisdom of mankind, but it was the wisdom of God. And, and in one sense, you look at this thing, and from where we sit, that's, we go, of course, um, that makes sense, what, what Solomon did. But if you were really facing that situation, and there was no precedent set, there was no Solomon that had lived, would you have really thought of that? Would you have thought of something so simple, something so profound that it got to the root of what people really cared about so that you were able to, to get to the truth and you were be able to make a right judgment. And wisdom then is something that is, uh, we are going to more see and know than be able to adequately define, even though we're going to make attempts. One of them, there are a number of words that kind of relate to wisdom in the Old Testament, but one of them is hakma, and we'll see it over and over again in the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to give you just a working definition, and then we're going to um, see how this definition can't, can't cover everything. But this is one that's kind of commonly out there, and a lot of uh, Bible scholars use a definition similar to this. But they will say that wisdom is the skill of godly living. The skill of godly living. That word hakman does mean skill. It can mean wit. It can uh, have with it that idea of being able to be very discerning. And so there is a, a sense in which this is a skill, something that we must learn. No baby is born with wisdom. Wisdom is not a natural trait, it is an acquired trait. And most of us, we learn wisdom because we've made so many foolish choices in our life, and we learn it the hard way. But it is a skill that we acquire. The difference between biblical wisdom and worldly wisdom is that little word, godly. Um, the Old Testament makes clear the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That any wisdom that is not grounded and flowing from God, it may be 
It may be skillful. It may get you through life. It may manipulate people and position you in the right way and you end up at the top of the heap and maybe even you have a, a form of justice and a form of, of rightness to your life. But biblical wisdom, true wisdom, always is founded upon that fear of the Lord, knowing the Lord, reverencing the Lord, and that being the beginning point. Because you'll know then that his word will guide you. Not just what the world is saying, not what the pundits are saying, but you really want to bow before God and before his word and to say, how does this apply to where I am today? The other thing about wisdom, though, is that it always does relate to life. It, it is, um, has a number of components, and this is why the definition is a little short. But it, there is a, a mental, a cognitive aspect to wisdom. It's you can see something, and with experience, and with having been saturated with the word of God, you can say, this is, this is not wise. And you kind of gain that, and that is a, a mental skill. But the idea of wisdom ultimately is always figuring out how do we live out biblical truth? How does it apply, or how does my life apply? How do I apply these truths to the situation? Let me just share a personal reason for wanting to go through this book of Proverbs and this, this theme of wisdom. And it is that as we live in a time that is increasingly complex, in which as believers we are living in a society that is increasingly less interested in who we are and less based upon common principles then we have to figure how are we going to live in this very complicated, in this very ungodly world in a godly way. And the other point of that is, is without wisdom, we tend to only take, well, the Bible addresses these 20 things, and it, but there's so many things in my life. It doesn't address how I deal with technology, or it doesn't address... Um, some of the political issues that we may face or it doesn't address all of these things that are just a result of living in this modern world. Well, wisdom says that God's truth can be applied to any time and these principles are applicable to every age, no matter how complex and complicated the situation may be. And so that's what we're after over these next few months is to gain a heart of wisdom, to gain a mind that is filled with godly wisdom and to gain hands and feet that are going to apply those principles to where we walk, to where we work, to where we live. So a working definition, what is wisdom? It's the skill of godly living. Some of you know the poet T.S. Eliot in um, his poem, Choruses from the Rock, and he asks these two questions. He says, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost 
in information. Um, this is important for us to realize. You're not going to have wisdom if you don't have knowledge. But you can have knowledge and not have wisdom. Today we can almost, um, in a moment, I, I don't know if some of you remember such a thing. There used to be times when people would have arguments. They would have arguments about who was the person that starred in this movie in 1956. Or they would have arguments about um, baseball stats or basketball stats. And you just were kind of on hold till somebody could, at some point, maybe go find a book. Or either this person was an expert who had committed a lot of knowledge uh, to, uh, to memory. But today... We have instant information about anything. Every argument can be settled. I mean, that is assuming you can trust the information you're getting on Wikipedia or wherever else you're getting it from. But we have lots of information, but we don't know much. And worse than not knowing much, we don't know what to do with the information and the little bit of knowledge that we have. And the Bible is filled from beginning to end with so much wisdom and a call to wisdom. So, what is wisdom? Working definition, it's the skill of godly living. The second point that we want to look at this morning is the value of wisdom. Turn with me to Job chapter 28. Job is one of the books of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. In Job 28, Job throughout is asking really important questions. But in Job uh, 28, verse 12, I want us to just look at a few questions that Job asks and some answers that he gives. Job 28, 12. But where shall wisdom be found? That's, a, that's, a, that's an important question. Are you going to find it on political roundtables, on Fox or CNN or whatever you watch? Is, is that wisdom? Is that the place you're going to find it? Are you, is Siri going to give you wisdom? Where shall wisdom be found? And let's just go ahead and say wisdom is going to be found in God. And it's going to be found in his word. And that's, that's what our confidence is. This is wisdom, not just information, not just knowledge. So he continues, and where is the place of understanding? Understanding is taking information and uh, recognizing its significance. And wisdom is one step further, knowing then how to relate that insight, that understanding to the circumstances that you're facing, the decisions that you face on a daily basis. <clears throat> Verse 13. Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold. And silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. 
No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Baden and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it. And he knows its place. And then continue down to verse 28. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So the question we're asking ourselves in preparation for studying wisdom together is how much is it worth? How much is it worth? In just beautiful ways, Job puts forward things that were of highest value in his day. Gold and glass and jewels and coral and crystal and pearls. And he says that the price of wisdom is higher. It is of greater value. You'll ask people sometimes, what's their goal in life? And particularly you'll see this with young men. You know, I want to be a millionaire by I'm 30. Or, um, you know, I want to have my own business. Or you see sort of this. Or even... Um, other people, their goal is to have a family. But how often have you heard somebody say, you know what, my goal in life, I want to be wise. Yet the Bible is saying here that as far as applying biblical truth, this is of highest value. We can't define it, but we can, we can say it is worth so much and we know where to find it. We find it with God. And it begins with getting and maintaining and developing a fear for him. And knowledge of the Holy One being in sight. Turn with me now to another one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. The one we'll be looking at together beginning next week. So turn with me to Proverbs. And I want you to go to chapter 4. Again, we're just reinforcing the worth of wisdom. How much is wisdom worth? Verse 5. Proverbs 4, 5 and forward. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. And she will keep you. Love her. And she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you do, get insight. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She will honor you. If you embrace her. So again, he's saying, you know, if you're setting a goal for your life, a direction for your life, you need to prize wisdom, and we need to do whatever we can to get wisdom. That the Bible is not just truths, 
that are set in stone and that are past historical events or future historical events. It contains here not only the truths of God, but also the Spirit of God helping us to face everything. 2016 is not a shocker to God. This postmodern world that we're living in, all that's happening in the United States and, and happening around the world, it's not a surprise to God. I heard uh, Ravi Zacharias say, um, just uh, it was on a tweet that he put out yesterday, and he said that he had never seen a time in all of his years of ministering that there was more uncertainty amongst people, particularly young people. Just fear, uncertainty. People don't know where to stand. I mean, if you've figured out the American political system, please explain it to me. Tell me where you're going to find godliness, where you're going to find wisdom. Yet he's saying here that in that uncertainty, or we're saying here that even in that time of uncertainty, that we know there is a way to go through this wisely. God's truth applies to 2016, to 2017, to how we engage, how we make decisions. So what is wisdom? It's the skill of godly living. What is the value of wisdom? It's priceless. Number three. Well, what is the source of wisdom? Um, as you sang this morning, <clears throat> immortal, invisible, God only wise. The Apostle Paul in the most magnificent of letters in all of Scripture, in Romans, he ends that letter with this sort of doxology of praise. In Romans 16, 27, he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Wisdom is not some sort of substance or idea that's over here and that God somehow manages. Wisdom flows directly from God. It is an attribute of God. He is the only wise God. And let me just tell you one thing about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, if you're going by the votes of mankind, is foolish. If mankind was voting on a plan of how to get to the best goal, the best end, they would not vote for God's way of getting there. God's way, as we see even from Job and his immense suffering, as we see with the Apostle Paul and, and the sufferings that he endured, as we see, of course, foundationally in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God is foolishness in the eyes of the world. So if you're going to trust uh, the intellects of, of the experts, if you're going to trust those people who you say, oh, they've studied, uh, the, the wisdom of man can only get you so high. It may teach you how to manipulate this world, but it will not teach you how to live for what lasts and how to live a truly upright and pleasing and, and worthy and a, a, a life that is a blessing. So where do we find this? We find this in the only wise God. One pastor talking about this verse 
after having for many years preached through the book of Romans, he said this, and I think it's right. He says, what, what this means is, when it's saying that God is the only wise God, because the verse before is talking about the gospel and how it brings the obedience of the nations. Good news, not, not, not guns and, and swords and force, but just preaching the gospel will bring the nations to the obedience of faith. He said, what it means that God is the only wise God, it means he knows what the very best end, the very best goal is. And of all of the paths to get to that goal, he knows the best path to take. So we begin to learn to trust him, and much of it is going to be counter to our culture, counter to worldly wisdom. And so we need to trust, all right, Lord, I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm not going to walk by listening to the world, but by listening to the word. Believing that true wisdom is found in you. The goal for not only my life, but the goal for the world and the path that we need to take to get there. You'll see this reiterated in James chapter 3, if you would turn there with me. James chapter 3. One of the most beautiful passages. I love this passage about, about worldly wisdom and, and wisdom from above. This is James chapter 3, verse 13. <clears throat> he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? You'll notice that word understanding. That's having a, a grasp on the significance of knowledge, of facts. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Thank you. In the meekness. So notice that. Isn't that different? I mean, what do you think about with knowledge? What does it say, the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. But what does he call wisdom here? The meekness. So if you're really a wise person, you're not going to be walking around going, look how wise I am. That's a sure sign you're not wise. Um, wisdom makes you a very humble, but not a weak person, a, a, a person who's, whose strength is controlled by the Spirit of God. And so here you have the meekness of wisdom, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but notice this, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Very, very cutting, straight to the point. You either, you've only got two kinds of, of uh, things that are claiming to be wisdom. One, it's from above, and it's going to be meekness, and you'll see some things that, that come from it. But he says, if you're saying you're wise, and there's just a lot of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and you're, you're false to the truth, he says... <clears throat> Or go down to verse 16, but where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. He says, you can't claim that as wisdom. And, and so let me just say one more time, try to make this point. What I'm sensing in my own heart, and so I'll, I'll say it uh, just from personal need, and I, I believe from being your pastor that we all need it. 
And that is that somehow there at certain points is a disconnect between the truths that we know and love and proclaim and then the application of those truths in a meek and humble and godly way to our day-to-day living. And, and we want to, as much as we can, through studying the Scripture and yielding to the Holy Spirit, to begin to, to narrow that gap so that, not, not for our honor, but, but so that we can really be good representatives of God with the decisions we make, with the ways we speak, with the ways we interact with others, that we really are wise. The other thing I would say about this that I've learned through the years is if you're sitting there and going, you know what, I don't have a lot of education or people wouldn't say I'm the smartest person. Let me tell you, my experience through the years has been this. I have met some of the wisest people in the world that had very little formal education. They had very little opportunities in that realm, but they had... By submitting to the word of God and by learning from experiences and applying scripture over and over, themselves, their family, their church, they have become truly wise. And when they speak, you just go, this is so amazing. I remember, this is a simple thing, and you've heard me tell this story before, a number of years ago when I pastored at East Bend. We were in a particularly heated meeting. We knew we needed a new fellowship hall, which they have since built, and beautiful fellowship hall. But we also felt like there were so many people in the town that just didn't have a park. And we had a plot of land, just a couple acres, that would have been a perfect park. And that was going to be more of an outreach, and the fellowship hall was going to be a little more of an inreach. And so there was a pretty big division in the church. Which one do we do? And I mean, people were were really kind of lining up, you know, and you could just see this, and I was shaking my head. This thing is not going to go well. And it just got more and more heated, and people just weren't listening to each other. And then I remember this man standing up. He'd been in the church for many, many years, and he stood up, and he said, brothers and sisters, he said, you know what, as I listen to this, he said, this is what I, I, I understand and I believe. He says, I cannot, he says, the peop, those of you who are saying the fellowship hall is a great thing and we need it. He said, you're absolutely right. He listed reasons why. Those of you that are saying we need this park and it would be in ministry and outreach. He says, you're absolutely right. And he said, this is my question. Why can't we do both? Literally. One question the entire stalemate was broken. The log jam was removed. And everybody looked up and go, said, why can't we do both? And all of a sudden we realized we had not been wise. We had been arguing about knowledge and truth and good, better, and best. And this man was absolutely right. And you know what? In God's way, in God's timing, they did both. And it was... In that moment, all I can say is, I, I don't know how to define it, but that man stood up and he had a spirit not only of faith, but he also had wisdom in how he engaged it. Don't, I, I, I guess this is what I'm saying. Don't you want that? Don't you long to be a person that would bring honor and glory to Christ by when people look at your life and how you act and how you react? They go, 
That's a wise person. And they say, why? And you say, well, it's the word of God. It's the spirit of God. It's trying to follow God's leadership and to apply it to my life. So then verse 17 there in James 3. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You know, one of the ways you can know right off I'm not being wise, it's when you cannot be reasoned with. Now, reasoning with you doesn't mean you're going to change your opinion. But if you go, I know what I know, what I know, what I know, and I don't want anybody confusing me with the facts, and you're just unwilling to be reasoned with, that's not wisdom. Just notice this beautiful part. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. Um, I long for that in myself. I long for that in us as a body, that we would be filled with that wisdom from on high and it would flow into our personal lives, our families, how we live together as a church. So, number one, what is wisdom? It's the skill of godly living. Number two, what is the value of wisdom? It's priceless. And number three, what is the source of wisdom? It's from God above it's the wisdom that comes from above and we have even here some portraits of what that would look like number four this is the prayer for wisdom this is the desire expressed back to god lord make me wise make me wise none of us are born this way but all of us need it it's important all of us face situations every day where we need wisdom. Just turn back a page in, in your Bible to James 1. It's our memory verse for this month. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And then just the first phrase of that next verse but let him ask in faith. If you lack wisdom, what do you do? You ask God. And you have a confidence. You notice it's a promise. It will be given him. It will be given him. And he's not going to smack you down and say, you should have known that. God is not that way. I, I, I know sometimes... Parents can be that way, or teachers or coaches. You go and you ask them a question. You should have known that. You know, well, here's the answer, but you should have known that. Not so with God. God loves it when we humble ourselves. He's not going to reproach you for your ignorance. He's not going to say, really? After all this time, and you, you had no clue? He says, if you come humbly and you ask for wisdom, he's not going to reproach you, and he will grant it he will give it and this is a great confidence so so let's just be clear on this the prayer for wisdom when you say lord i need to know what is a right judgment in this situation i need to know how to talk to this person i need to know how to move forward in this situation direction guidance and you ask god you can have this confidence the prayer for wisdom will always be answered 
And it will always be answered with a yes. Now, there's not everything in the Bible that you can have that confidence. One of the reasons you can know that God is going to give you a yes is because, first of all, this is who he is. He is the only wise God. But there's nothing that is going to ever lead you astray by wisdom. I mean, you maybe make a very specific request. Lord, I want this. Or, Lord, I think I need this. But as he says here in James... Um, you know, first you have not because you ask not, but then he says you're asking to spend it on your own passions. You're asking in the wrong way. So it's, it's possible to make a worldly request. The prayer for God, I want wisdom, is not worldly. It is saying, God, I want your mind on this, not just the truth of the situation, but how do I apply those principles, that truth, to what I am facing the verse that um, I have under the sermon on the order of worship today is from Psalm 90 verse 12 that's Moses's psalm and he says so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom and that's one of the things is you're praying but one of the things you also have to do is to realize you know think about it. I mean things that we are so big to us today in light of the fact that we don't have long. We need to make sure we know good, better, and best. We need to know bad, worse, and worst. We, we, we need to say, I'm not here forever. I can't do everything. I, I, I can't be everything. I need to be focused. So I want a heart of wisdom because I know I have a limited number of days set in front of me. I don't want to hold on to things. I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to have bitter rivalry or jealous ambition. I want to have your thoughts on this and I want to have a heart of wisdom. We all know the story as it's recorded in Kings and Chronicles of God appearing to Solomon in the night and he says, um, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, you've shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O oh Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you've not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Um, let, let me just tell you, I want to talk to those of you who are on a day-to-day -day basis involved in raising your kids. You know this is absolutely... Uh, having a child... And knowing the truth of where they need to be and the truth of what God says, that's one size. But knowing the wisdom on the age, the child, the situation, how to apply that to their life, that's, that's a skill. And that's something that we've got to pray. Wisdom is desperately needed in our raising of our children in a world that is, is just so wicked and ungodly. How do we raise them? How do we insulate them from the world but not isolate them from the world 
uh, I remember this, this tendency uh, that can happen in children who have been raised in godly homes, but the homes did not insulate them from the world, but isolated them from the world. And the thing that shocked me is how much these kids despise lost people. They just despise lost people. So, so did you raise your child to be a godly child? Yes. Do they, are they walking in the right path? Yes. Are they missing the point of being here on planet Earth as a follower of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. So there has to be, how do you get that balance? How, how, how do you find that balance? That's the need for wisdom. And if you pray and you ask, God always answers yes. Number five. Our need for wisdom is desperate. We have a desperate need for wisdom. Uh, you don't need to look up these two verses, but Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Or chapter 1 of Proverbs, verse 32, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Over and over again, you have Lady Wisdom, and, and then you also have Lady Folly. And it's not just, uh, you know, I could have had a little better life if I had followed God's plan, if I had learned wisdom. It's that literally being foolish is a path that leads to death. And sadly, we see all around us that with no breaks, with no guardrails, with nothing stopping them, the world has completely embraced foolishness. There's no fear of God, and they've embraced it. And we can't really stop that car from hurtling toward the cliff. But what we can do is, is we can say, Lord, we want to be light and salt in this world. And that's not just standing for the truth, but by who we are and how we apply the truth of God and his gospel of grace to the world that we are not foolish, but that we are wise. Foolishness destroys, but wisdom gives life. The sixth and final point is this. Wisdom is not ultimately an idea. Wisdom is ultimately a person. Wisdom is ultimately a person. Look with me first in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, there's that word, and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So ultimately, it's not just saying we're going to go to the Bible and try to delve out these principles. Ultimately, it's we're called to walk with a person. Um, the thing about Solomon as this wise man, he was the son of David. 
the New Testament is making clear to us that he was not the ultimate son of David. Because even though he was the wisest man who had lived to that point, ultimately, in so many ways, he was foolish. There has only ever been one truly, completely, perfectly, from start to finish, wise man. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't just learn by following principles. We don't just learn by getting concepts We learn wisdom by walking day to day, by reading the Gospels, by listening in the power of the Holy Spirit, by walking with Jesus, being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Wisdom is more caught than taught. We see it applied as Jesus handles situations. And some people, he is so tender and kind and merciful. And others, he's like a roaring lion that you just are amazed. How does he know how to do this? How does he know when to answer them and when to refuse to answer them? Because Jesus, it says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How are we going to become wise people? By walking with Jesus. One more passage and then we're done. On the same point, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read starting in verse 18 through the end of the chapter and then just make a couple of comments on it. For the word of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of, cross, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made, notice it, our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Literally, what I'm calling us to do every week as we are going through Proverbs and we're looking at how to to live godly lives today is, is that Christ and 
his death and resurrection, the person of Christ seated on the throne above, he is the storehouse of wisdom. He is our wisdom. And that we literally would call and say, I need wisdom for this situation. How do I face this situation? I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to back down. I want to be clear. But I also want to be wise. Show me how those things go together. Christ then literally becomes the treasure house to which we go. He is that pearl of great price from whom we are receiving these, these treasures. Everything we need for life and godliness. He is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. That means he's everything to us. And so when we pray, we don't pray generically. God, give me wisdom. We pray specifically. God, give me Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we humbly admit that we have listened to the siren song of the world. It's been, it's been playing its tune. And like a Pied Piper, we're just all following. We're trying to figure things out. We're trying to figure out how to live, how to move our relationships forward, families, husbands, wives, children. We're trying to figure out how to carry out our businesses, our jobs, our professions in our own power. And so, Lord, the world looks at us and they say, you know what, you may believe in a really powerful God, but I don't see any evidence of it in your life by the decisions you make and how you interact. So, Lord, would you give us the wisdom from above? Would you help us to, like that woman, Lord, who just crawled to Jesus, just to grab a hold of the hem of his garment and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, you are our wisdom. You are our sanctification. You are our righteousness. You, you, you are all to us. So, Lord Jesus, would you help us? We're weak, but you're strong. We don't know how to live this situation that we're facing. And, Lord, we ultimately want to show to the world that we are following wisdom himself, Jesus. Oh Lord, make us, conform us into the image of Christ. So that as we adorn the doctrine, that people will ask us, why? How, how, did, how do you know how to do that? How do you live in such a peaceable way, in such a vile and violent world? And we can say, because we're following the Prince of Peace, we're following the wise one, the one who is wisdom himself, the one in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, even Jesus Christ. Lord, this is our prayer, and we make it in Christ's name. And together, God's people said, Amen.